Welcome to Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, Leslie and Joe met up on Batu, and so we finally get Joe's impressions of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and we discuss what you need to know if you're considering checking out East or West Batu. Find old episodes of the podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you find podcasts. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. Special shout out and thank you to Capone's mom for your recent review. Connect with us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at WDWDeciphered on Twitter, or on our Facebook page, DisneyDeciphered. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can check us out on Patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As The Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. Welcome back to Disney Deciphered. All right, so I finally got to check out Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So I want to talk about my impressions of it. And we also want to give you some of our favorite tips and ways to enjoy the land. Leslie, you are the resident Star Wars Galaxy's Edge expert. So I'm going to let you drive. So uh, why don't you take the, take the driver's seat and I'll uh, be the engineer. All right. <laughs> Just like Smuggler's Run, right? Just like we like it on Smuggler's Run. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, we'll get there. Well, I'll just start by saying, like, I'm really glad to get to see the two different versions of the land. And I was, I guess, under the impression that they were identical. They're not. I mean, they, there's certainly sections of the land that are identical, but it felt a little different to me. And of course, the, the setting in Hollywood studios is different than the setting in Disneyland park. But even just the layout, there's some slight differences that we'll get to talking about. I mean, I think it was ultimately worthwhile for me to see both versions, especially in such close proximity to one another. I guess not everybody is as crazy as me and there's definitely no need for like regular human beings to go to both coasts to see both versions, like unless you're just really, really into Star Wars. But Joe, yeah, what was your, as somebody like walking into Batuu for the first time, like what were your impressions, blank slate, um, that I definitely am not? So my first impression, just like the same way it is with Pandora and Animal Kingdom, uh, you know, it was... 6 a.m. And I walked in from Toy Story Land because I started with Extra Extra Magic Hours, uh, which ends November 2nd. But, you know, they're letting people into Hollywood Studios at 6 a.m. So I went to Slinky Dog Dash first. So I was walking in from Toy Story Land and I just noticed the sounds change. So like Toy Story Land has its Toy Story Land music. And as I was walking into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, all of a sudden the sounds changed. I started hearing like the clickety clack of, you know, what sounds like, you know, a living, breathing city. And then I heard a speeder or an airship like fly over me. And I was like, oh, I'm not in Toy Story Land anymore. That's right. So you went straight in in the early morning hours. I presume it was dark. Is that right at that time? Yeah. So I was really glad to get in early in the morning because it was all dark. And I found that it was really, for lack of a better term, beautiful at night. You know, I really appreciated the way Batu looked. Obviously, the Millennium Falcon looked awesome at night. And I also got to see things as the sun was coming up. And there were just some really cool colors and angles, which probably are not Disney created. Uh, you know, I don't think they created the sun as far as I could tell, but it really made me appreciate the land even more. And I was really glad I got to see it at quote unquote night. Yeah, that's right. I had seen it at night at Disneyland and the lighting package is just really beautiful. I mean, the land is gorgeous any time of day, but it's different and it feels different. And, and I, I too was glad to get to see it in those early morning hours and the sunrise was just beautiful. I missed part of it because I was actually on a ride, but I saw, I saw part of it as well. It really is gorgeous. So I guess for folks in winter months who are going, you know, early when they do have just regular extra magic hours, there still may be that possibility. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, like just overall, I was just really impressed with how the land looked. It was, as I expected, as immersive and as well detailed as Pandora. Um, but then, you know, with details that like I kind of recognize, it didn't seem foreign to me. Like I said, the sounds are great. Like every once in a while, you just hear a transport fly over you. And I was talking with someone and we actually looked up. Uh, to see if there was a trans, obviously there wasn't because, uh, we were actually on earth, but you know, it's, you just kind of transported like that far away. And I thought what they did with the marketplaces was really smart as well. It kind of does feel like a real living, breathing market. You know, if you've ever been to like a flea market or a bazaar or something like that, you kind of get a little bit confused and it's not like there are like tons of pathways that you could get lost on, but you definitely kind of have this feeling like, oh, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going. I'm not sure exactly how I ended up here, which is pretty impressive in such a small land. Yeah, most definitely. The marketplace really is nice. And, you know, I guess I was there on opening day at Disneyland where it was just like choked with people. Everybody's trying to buy their merchandise. And now we're seeing the land sort of settling in and crowd levels being sort of more reasonable and sustained. And the marketplace felt but felt nice with those kind of crowd levels. So, so I guess this is a good chance to talk about crowds. What, what were they like when you were there and uh, how did they affect you more generally? Before I talk about crowds, one last funny thing is that there are a lot of automatic doors and I couldn't always tell which ones would open and which ones wouldn't. Disney has posted people in front of the doors that open to places you can go in, like uh, one of the uh, shops. I can't remember which one it's called. Doc Ondar's maybe? Yeah. Had a electronic door and I was like, is that someplace I'm allowed to go in? I wasn't like completely sure. Yeah, you are allowed in Doc Ondar's, but it does confuse a lot of people because it doesn't look like it's necessarily a legit entrance. Yeah, I just saw like random people coming out, uh, but there's actually a store in there. In terms of crowds, you know, it did feel pretty crowded. At one point, the Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run line was running all the way outside, like along the Millennium Falcon itself and a bit over towards the side. I remember when you had first gone, I was like, is it really that uncrowded that you can take a picture in front of the Millennium Falcon and have no people behind you? There was definitely going to be people behind you when you're taking pictures of the Millennium Falcon when I was there. This was the Tuesday before... Columbus Day. And I think it just got even worse uh, when you went. Yeah, the lines definitely did get longer. I went on the Saturday of Columbus Day weekend. And I think that was the peak point since like the opening week of lines for Smuggler's Run. And I certainly saw it. The line for Millennium Falcons stretched way past Oga's Cantina, like all the way spilling into the first order side of uh, Black Spire Outpost. So it was it was super long. And that was that was by like mid morning. That was after like the park had opened to regular people for the day. And a lot of people were making their first mad dash on the holiday weekend to uh, see this new land. So that was kind of as bad as it got. But I mean, I didn't think crowds generally were particularly crushing in the land. It didn't, I didn't feel like I was shoulder to shoulder with people, you know, except for the line for the ride. There definitely was room to roam and room to get some photos and, you know, just sort of experience, experience land. There was, there was seating available at, you know, at um, Docking Bay 7 that certainly didn't fill up. It wasn't crushing. And, and I do think long-term, that the land is just is going to work in terms of crowd levels. So it's it's nice to see it hasn't just been completely crushing. And part of that is due to the layout and sort of how it scatters people. I mean, one thing I really do like is there are a lot of these little like corridors and things to explore and different routes that you can take. So it's not just like one pathway that's going to be choked with people. Right. Yeah. I think they did a great job of there's just multiple paths to get to where you want to go. And some are like a little longer, some are a little shorter, but I think that definitely will kind of diffuse the crowds. Something that I'm not sure whether it will diffuse or increase the crowds is the app that Disney 
Play app has a, it's called the Star Wars data pad on it. And talking about getting to explore things, what it does is it turns your phone into like a reader. It's like a QR code reader. It's a lot more than that, actually, but that's kind of like the simplest version of it. And you can go around the land scanning various crates to figure out what's inside of them. And, you know, it's super in depth. You can actually get missions that you do for people. You can gain status with either the resistance or the first order or uh, I forget what they call What do they call the scoundrels? Or maybe it is scoundrel. Scoundrels and smugglers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the scoundrels and smugglers. So you can be like a Han Solo type. And that is something that I don't think it's actually going to increase crowds a lot because there's probably not people who are super nerdy who are going to get into that. But I think it's something that your kids will probably enjoy. If you're like, say, someone who got obsessed with Pokemon Go, it is ticking those same boxes, releasing those same endorphins that you probably got from Pokemon Go. So I think that's a great way to enjoy the land. And it also spreads people out through the land as they're looking through the app. And I promise you this connects because when there is a long line at Smuggler's Run, and I assume the same at uh, Rise of the Resistance, there are things for you to do on the app while you're waiting. Yeah, that's right. And you and I have had very different takes on the app. I mean, I haven't used it as much as you have. And I, I did have a lot of problems with it crashing in the early days at Disneyland and just not being particularly functional and like really sucking battery for on the phone. That's something to to watch for definitely oh, as well. It definitely sucks battery. It still sucks yeah, battery. Still sucks battery. But, you know, I mean, I'm not a gamer. I'm not tech illiterate by any stretch of the imagination, but it just didn't engage me. Like I didn't want to be on my phone when I was like in the land exploring and looking at things. I mean, in the line, that's different. But again, I don't do lines at Disney very often. So I didn't have a reason to use it in the in the line. I didn't go through the, the regular line at any point. But yeah, if you are waiting in the in the regular line, then uh, having that interactivity is huge. And I've done I've done the Play Disney Parks app in other ride lines. And so having something to keep your kids busy in the queue, I think is the biggest win, in my opinion, as someone who's not a gamer and not going to be like using it extensively just in the land regularly. I agree. Like for a normal person, like I was getting into it and then I was like, I got other things to do. Otherwise I could probably spend more time here than I care to admit. But I think for the normal folk, having it in that smugglers run line is going to be a real game changer, especially if you're waiting with your kids. Cause they had this game where like you were memorizing, you know, you had to practice having a secret identity. So they'd give you a card and you'd have to like know what your eye color is, what your height is, what your race is. In some cases, whether you have feet or not, funny stuff like that. And then Hondo would quiz you on that to make sure you can maintain your secret identity. So stuff like that is going to take your time up in line or more importantly, take your kids' time up in line. And right now there is no fast pass. So unless you're going to single rider, which you can't do with your kids because you're going to get split from your kids, it's a, a really good way to kind of pass the time that line. And I never waited for longer. I actually only waited like 30 minutes in the actual line. I actually ended up waiting longer when I did it single rider later. But that 30 minutes, I didn't get bored at all because I was looking at the Millennium Falcon because you got a great view of the Millennium Falcon from the queue. And also I was on the app the whole time. Well, this is a great chance for us to segue into Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run more generally, the ride and our take on that. So I guess we've already covered a little bit of the basics when I did my review of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland when that first opened. But uh, what do you think of the ride generally? Like, can you give it a score from like one to ten? I would give it a seven, I guess. It's like everyone who said it's basically like Star Tours with better tech. That's a pretty fair assessment. Obviously, it's much more intimate because there's only six of you in the cabin. There's a little more 
activity because, you know, you have to press buttons and stuff like that. But that's kind of mostly, like you said in that review, except for unless you're the pilot, you're not really doing much. You're just kind of mashing buttons. The queue is really amazing. The Hondo animatronic is great. But, you know, overall, the ride is a seven. Here's a tip I have for you, though. Go into it thinking that the ride's going to be a three like I did, and you'll feel much better when you get to the end of it. I just heard so much stuff about how like it's not that great. It's just kind of whatever. That when I got to the ride, I had such low expectations that it uh, quite easily exceeded those low expectations. See, I had the reverse problem because I thought it was going to be an, an eight and it turned out to be a six. And I, I do think that a huge part of the experience is affected by, of course, your position and, and, uh, but the people that you're riding with affect that. And the first time I rode, I rode with people I didn't know who were not particularly like, Star Wars super fans and weren't, weren't very into it. And it just was kind of a meh experience. And I, I wrote it twice at Disney World, um, this trip, both times through the single rider line. And one time I was in a group where the family, the first four people in the front of the cockpit and I was in the engineer seat in the back were non-English speakers. And so they didn't understand anything that was going on, any of the instructions. They didn't like understand, like pull the lever to light speed, even though it was like flashing at them. And they just, that kind of wrecked the experience for me as well, just because there was just a complete lack of understanding as to what was going on. So like when people don't understand the the game, then, you know, it's hard for you to, you to play it. <laughs> but if you get to go with your family, if you're, you're full of like a cockpit of your siblings or your, you know, parents or whatever, like it's, it really can be a blast. I've gone with, with friends, so it's highly variable. And I think for that reason, it's really important to experience it a couple of times if you can make that happen or just go with your family the first time. Maybe that's right. I think you're totally right. Like I confess your own popular opinion, really enjoyed the engineer seat. My first ride was actually in the pilot seat with a friend. And that was definitely more fun in the sense that we were like having fun playing the game. But I decided that I did not actually need that kind of stress. So when I sat in the engineer seat, just uh, chilling in the back and just kind of like as a passenger who had to hit a button every once in a while, I actually enjoyed that a lot more. And I got less motion sick because I was a little further back. At the same time, I do think like if you fill a cabin with six people, I think you're going to have a blast regardless of what position you're in because you know, you're just hooting and hollering together and you can just have a lot of fun together. So it's definitely a ride to be experienced with people. You ride on single rider if you want to skip the queue, but if you want to maximize the experience, you ride that queue with uh, people you know. Yeah, that's totally right. And so speaking of single rider, it does seem to be the case that the majority of the time you're going to get the engineer position on the single rider because like a family of four is going to fill the two pilot seats and the two gunner seats. And then like the single riders are going to fill the last two. I mean, it does happen. Like my sis, my, my daughter lucked into pilot on our last Disneyland trip going through single rider. I don't know if like she just batted her eyes and looked cute or something, but uh, <laughs> um, usually engineer second, most likely gunner. So if you want to pilot, you probably are going to have to wait in the the longer line unless you just get lucky. I think you're totally right. Like if you're a single rider, you're probably going to be an engineer, um, you know, which is fine. I had a very weird experience. Like when I went in the single rider line, it took me three minutes less than the posted wait time of the regular queue, which makes me think I actually would have been done faster if I had done the regular queue. I'm not sure what was going on, but the single rider uh, went very slowly. We'll have some tips on, on single rider in Disney do's and don'ts. But for the most part, I think single rider is going to be faster, but you might not get the 
maximum experience. Here's my general take. I think single rider is shorter, especially first thing in the morning. Of course, we were doing this during extra, extra magic hours. And a lot of families doing that ride for the first time want to go through the queue experience. They want to, you know, see the entire line, all of that. And then usually on their second ride, then that's when they're sort of like, okay, I'm hopping in single rider. I've seen it. I just want to ride the ride one more time. So I definitely think, and I've experienced this at Disneyland as well, that the single rider queue is longer later in the day. And if you sort of are hitting it first thing in the morning, you're beating a lot of people. At least that was my, that was my experience doing it single rider and seeing that queue at least as the morning went on when I was in Galaxy's Edge. So yeah, something to keep in mind. All right, well, let's move on to Oga's Cantina because that's like the other big thing that both you and I did. Remind me, I think we both went in the morning for kind of a late breakfast. Is that right? I think we both went at 10 a.m., yeah. <laughs> so so what was your take? Like, What was your wait to get into Oga's Cantina, like even with your reservation time? Yeah, so it was a little annoying. They made you wait in line no matter what. I guess the way they were doing it is you wait in line whether you have a reservation or not, and then someone moves down the queue, and then they check you in if you had a reservation. So once I got checked in, I was in like two minutes after that, but I had to wait in the line. I guess there's no other way to do it, so I shouldn't be annoyed. Um, so got in immediately, and it's just a, it's a roaring good time in there. Lots of positive interaction between the bartenders and the guests. There's like various drinking games that happen. It was 10 a.m. So most people weren't drinking alcohol. A lot of fun. The vibe is good. DJ Rex spinning it on the ones and twos. You know, that's a cool animatronic and had a lot of fun. Before I left, you know, this group came in uh, and they were like really playing it up. They were like really like role playing as if, uh, you know, this is like middle-aged guys. It's pretty funny, but they're like, Hey, we hear that uh, you can help the resistance out here. And the bartender totally just stayed in character, played along. And he was like, don't talk about that here. Uh, you're going to get us in trouble, stuff like that. So, you know, just little interactions like that. Um, really fun. The drinks were good. I mean, the drinks were probably just fancy Powerade. I wasn't drinking alcohol at 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, can't handle that. The Batu bits, the snack mix was excellent. I really liked that. Um, and that's pretty much all you can eat if you're not there for breakfast. If you're there for breakfast, you can get like a yogurt or an oatmeal or something. Had a great time. And I know that uh, you had a great time at Oga's in Disney World as well, even though that was like your second time overall. Yeah, I had a great time. And my experience entering was different than yours. That's really interesting. I got checked in almost immediately by somebody, but then probably had about a 15 minute wait or so until I got called into a table. So I guess it's just sort of a, your miles may vary based upon what the turnover is inside. And, and, uh, they really did seem to be turning people away though, who didn't have reservations. There were a couple people who were like, I don't have a reservation, but could you get me on the list? And I only saw one person be successful in that endeavor. And they were like a, a group of two, anything smaller than that. I guess holiday weekend, there really wasn't room to accommodate. Yeah. So I, I, I had a blast. I was a little disappointed by Ogos Cantina. You know, I was there on opening day. There were a lot of uh, problems at Disneyland when I first went to it. But, you know, they've worked those kinks out, obviously, over time. But I actually thought the atmosphere inside was much more lively than at Disneyland. Um, the bartenders were really, really getting into it. I apparently had Batu's best, best bartender, Kyle. Like, I tweeted about him, and um, I got some comments back from people being like, yeah, that's Kyle. He's the best bartender, you know, at Ogos. And he was awesome, and they were singing drinks songs and really getting the crowd into the experience, which I did not see at Disneyland at all. It was very like the quality of service was lower at Disneyland. And, and this to me felt much more like a Trader Sam's immersive experience where everybody was psyched to be there. And um, I really appreciated that. I mean, still the limits of like 
you know, there's no, not really a lot of seating. Most people are standing up at a bar and the drinks are pre-mixed and not, not made on, on demand like they are at Trader Sam's. But I was much more excited about Oga's and thought I would be more likely to return having seen the Disney World experience. Yeah, I did try the breakfast oats or whatever it was at the oatmeal and it was kind of meh. You don't really go for the food. I did try some of the non-alcoholic drinks because the last time I went, I tried mostly al- no, all alcoholic drinks and uh, I tried some of the non-alcoholic and they were really good. I had one that was like, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like orange juice based and it was really super delicious. So I was glad to try it. So Oga's got, got, you know, moved up in my, in my rankings after seeing the Disney World version and, and think it's still, still worth, worthwhile and definitely a hit. It's kind of a microcosm of the whole land. If you pay attention, there's just so many like little details. Like if you look behind the bar, there's just so many details behind the bar that are really fascinating to look at. And same with the land. So, you know, it does reward kind of taking your time, although they kick you around 45 minutes, um, but the land overall, at least rewards taking your time and wandering around and really soaking it in. Yeah, that's definitely right. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. What's coming? Rise of the Resistance, the second attraction to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's going to be opening December the 5th in Disney World, January 17th in Disneyland. Did you get a chance to sort of peek at what the queue looks like and, and what are you thinking about it? I just hung around the Resistance Base Camp. You know, we had talked about this on Disney Deciphered Unfiltered, but it feels much more spacious than it looks in Disneyland. One, like, simple thing is that there's an A-Wing and an X-Wing, uh, two different rebel fighters or resistance fighters, I guess, in the Resistance Camp. And in Disney World, they're on opposite sides of the courtyard from each other. In Disneyland, they're next to each other. And people line up to take pictures in front of those fighters. So it feels a lot more spacious because, you know, you have lines on two separate sides. There was someone standing in front of the queue. They wouldn't let me in. They said uh, they're getting it prepared. But it looks really cool in there. It has a... For those of you who know what I'm talking about, a moon of Endor feel to the resistance base. Obviously, it's not Endor, but, you know, it feels pretty good. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Obviously, won't get to ride it for a while at Disney World, but I'm hoping soon after the new year to try the version at Disneyland. But yeah, I did really like the layout, like I mentioned to you, better of that resistance encampment at Disney World. And people are coming through it because that's the pathway from the Muppet Courtyard. They're coming through that way and there's just more activity and more hubbub, even without Rise of the Resistance being open yet. So I can only imagine what it's going to look like. I hope that queue is long enough to hold all the people that are going to be in it. I'm sure it is because otherwise it's going to spill out for quite a while. Yeah, I have high, high hopes for Rise of the Resistance. And if you want to hear our unfiltered takes on that, then um, become a Patreon subscriber because we definitely went into some more detail on one of our Disney Decipher unfiltered episodes there. Right. All right. So let's end with some quick tips. You know, what kind of tips would you have for people to enjoy the land? I would start with definitely get the Disney Parks Play app, especially if you have kids. Uh, use that Star Wars data pad. What do you got, Leslie? Yeah, well, I think make them the most of extra magic hours or, I mean, right now that we're at the tail end of the extra, extra magic hours, which you and I got to experience. And, and you and I both actually started by going to Toy Story Land, hitting Slinky Dog Dash and then heading over to Batu. So, you know, keep an eye on how the crowds are flowing. And, but I, I still think that the early morning hour is going to be the best time to try to experience a shorter wait and also later in the day. I mean, like, as you're getting close to to closing, it seems like lines subside quite a bit then. Don't get in line for Smuggler's Run at 10 a.m. Just don't. That's when it's the worst. 
And that's when I saw it, that line way past Oka's Cantina, that was probably a hundred plus minute wait. There is no reason to wait in line for Smuggler's Run for that kind of length of time. It's not that good of a ride and that's setting yourself up for, for disappointment. But yeah, 30, 45 minutes, you know, worth it, worth it. Like we talked about. Yeah, no problem. My next tip would be to really keep your eye out for what's going on. You'll see, at least when I was there, I saw lots of characters walking around stormtroopers, obviously, but also characters who were introduced specifically for the land. Leslie knows all the names of them. You can ask her uh, offline if you want to know what they're called. There are like kind of mini shows that happen. My friend saw Chewie walk by. I missed him, but you know, he was wandering around. So, you know, keep your eye out for those little details because that kind of really makes the uh, experience. You got any uh, food tips? I don't know. The food's not, not fantastic in Batu, in my opinion. I think Docking Bay 7's got some interesting choices. I did eat breakfast there uh, when, during my, my trip to Walt Disney World. So, but definitely mobile order. Unless you're going, like I went to Docking Bay 7 when there was nobody in line because everybody was at Smuggler's Run at 6 a.m. But definitely mobile order if you see any lines because it is, it is available there. It's totally worth it. And uh, if you're going to during a super peak crowd period, mobile order even a little in advance because sometimes you won't be able to get like food immediately if crowds are really high. Yeah, my obscure food tip, I only, well, I actually had some food at Docking Bay 7 that I shared with uh, some other people who got it. Yeah, it was not super impressive. I did like the Ronto Roaster, but it was like kind of too much coleslaw for me and started dripping. So I would go easy on that next time. So that'd be uh, my one tip. Fair enough. Well, uh, let's close it out, I guess, with our Disney do and don't. Yeah. So uh, what do you got for us for single rider do's and don'ts? All right. So like I said, I did the single rider line twice. So my Disney do is to go left. And people don't realize there are actually two single rider lines uh, for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, and they both go upstairs. And for whatever reason, just because of like how people enter and like wind their way into the queue, everybody seems to, to bear right. And so you'll see like a line forming down those stairs and people think, oh, that's a single rider line. I got to get in it. But you could go left instead and go up the same flight of stairs and go to a what is usually a much shorter single rider line. I saw it stretched all the way down the stairs on the right side. And then I walked up the left side and there was only one person in front of me. So I rode almost immediately. Definitely look for the second opportunity to go left. But you, of course, did not have quite such a lucky experience. What happened with you? Yeah, so my Disney don't would be don't ride single rider if you don't see the split. And the reason why people get confused by right and left is because to quote unquote turn right, you'd be walking parallel to the direction that you're walking in. To turn left, you'd actually kind of turn around backwards a little bit. You know, you kind of hook around um, to go up that left staircase, which is why people won't see it. And even if people start figuring it out, like there's going to be plenty of people riding the ride who have not like read blogs or whatever, and they're just not going to get it. I, on the other hand, had to wait like 25 minutes to even get to that point where it split. Like I didn't even know that it split further on. So, you know, Leslie and I were talking and we think if you can't get close to the split point, if you can't at least see the split point, um, unless I guess there's a two hour wait at Smuggler's Run, like for the regular standby line, you know, just turn around and go in the regular line. You might as well. The Play app is Bluetooth activated and there's no Bluetooth in the single rider line. So if you're waiting in the single rider line, there's literally nothing to do. Definitely just take the regular queue if you can't see the split. 
Yeah, definitely. That means it's too long. So do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Exactly. All right. So that about does it for our Star Wars Galaxy's Edge wrap up. Uh, we will be back hopefully once we get on Rise of the Resistance to talk about that. Other than that, if you have had experience at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, we'd love to hear it. You can contact us, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter or on our Facebook page, DisneyDeciphered. Thanks so much, Leslie. We will talk to everyone next week. And Leslie, I will see you behind the Millennium Falcon. Thanks, Joe.